We'll toss that rusty old grill into the lake and set the Barca Lounger on fire. It's episode number 15 of the Dadward Spiral. I'm coming in hot. Uh, all the coffee I drank this morning just hit me. Uh, hello, Eddie. Welcome back to the show. Eddie was missing last week when uh, I got to catch up with my old friend Drew Daywalt, film, uh, horror filmmaker turned best-selling children's author of a book called The Day the Crayons Quit. He wrote The Day the Crayons Came Home. Apparently, Disney hired him to write a children's book about BB-8. Um, he has a new book coming out in the fall called Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Kid about a star that wishes on a kid like that man just pivoted into Roll Dahl territory and is is hugely successful. We had a great conversation and I'm sorry you missed it, but I'm glad you're Uh-oh. back. Uh oh. Uh oh. OK, we have we have uh, a third person here saying, uh oh. We'll get to I him lost, in a second. I lost the video. Oh, well, I, I have you on video, so it's fine. Yeah, we can see you fine. Yeah. Before we get hold to on, this oh, person who is just gotcha. <laughs> saying, uh-oh, <laughs> uh, obviously not the most technically savvy uh, person I know. Uh, Eddie. Nope. Yes. How's it going? It's going good. It's uh, it's it's the usual. It's um, we're, j- you know, just cranking through trying to get through the end of the school year we had spring break uh for the boys and they had a fun we tried to do a lot of fun stuff in in the you know during spring break where they could do things and we tried to take them out but you know my wife and i both work during the day and um and and so it's like trying to get like trying to get the right balance of um trying to get the right balance of uh of, of of things to do uh for them that was like healthy for them and you know just things like that yeah, I ventured out to the park for the first time in a while with my daughter, and uh, apparently it was the time of day where everyone was at the park. I've never seen it that crowded before. We ro- <laughs> we <laughs> rolled up and got out, and Lily said, oh, this is scary, <laughs> because she just saw the large amount of kids there. And then it started raining, and everyone left, and she had fun on the swings. Um, <laughs> Fair before enough. we continue, I want to once again send a shout out to Dragon Wagon Radio, as we do in every episode. And uh, I want to tell you all, if you enjoy what you're hearing, I really hope you enjoy what you're hearing. I mean, I know my voice can be a little bit annoying, but we are happy that you're joining us on this journey. Please go to iTunes to give us a review, like, subscribe. Um, I say this every week. Send us candy if you want to. Mother's Day is going to be happening in a few days once this episode goes up. Hug your mom or, or call her. I don't know. You know. Tell her you love her. Something along those lines. Trying to be inspirational here. Um, Yeah, not a lot new to report from this past week. So I guess we'll just get into introducing our guest. Um, So this is the first time I we have branched away from just having uh, like TV people on um, or someone who works in the creative field. This gentleman. I've known for 30 years. Uh, he was one of my first close friends in high school. He was able to grow a, grow a beard before pretty much any other boy in school. So I don't even remember if, if he was tapped to buy alcohol for friends, but he could have. He probably got into bars. I don't know. Uh, he's a paramedic. He was a firefighter. I guess he's also a firefighter. At one point, he was a drummer in a band. Um, he's a father of three. And he's here today to talk to us about his experience in raising two kids with type one diabetes. 
And I don't know anything else he wants to talk about. Welcome to the show, Mr. Brian Levine. Hi, Brian. Oh, thank you. Hello, Aaron. Hello, Eddie. Thank you. Guys hey, for having me. it's a pleasure to have you. Um, I will say that I was tapped to buy cigarettes in high school for uh, one particular individual. I will leave that leave that person nameless. Uh, his or her um, privacy, but uh, and yes, I was getting into bars at 19 years of age, freshman year of college. But I got that out of my system. Yeah, you you know, Brian was a dr- when Brian made the the pivot from being like a drummer. I thought he was going to be a rock star. He played the whiskey, the troubadour, a um, bunch of different locations when uh, we were in high school. I thought this was like my buddy was going to be the next. Uh, I don't know. Insert drummer name here. I'm not really Neil Pert. At that. Sure. Uh, but just, then just nowhere made, is good. <laughs> he, then he made a pivot that I wasn't expecting and became a firefighter and uh, sort of broke down certain stereotypes I have about Jewish men. Me being one of them that this guy got into CrossFit, became a firefighter. And uh, then got married and have ki- had kids. And you met your wife on J-Date, uh, which was cool. There were billboards of you and her kissing in Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you had kids. And I want to specifically talk about that experience of working in, you said, not necessarily the medical field or healthcare field, but working in this realm that you're in where you protect and take care of people. and then discovered that uh your first, one of your kids and then two of your kids had type 1 diabetes um mm-hmm. so the first thing i guess i want to go into is how did you learn that what were those early days like what were the behavioral changes or symptoms that led you guys down this road you know you know i've talked about it with amy <laughs> a few times now that we've been doing this for Amy's the name of his wife, everyone. Sorry. Yes. Amy's my wife um, for about seven years now. And we both were like, how did we miss this like earlier than when we finally caught it? I would say that the, we didn't realize what was going on with him until about the week of his diagnosis when like the classic symptoms like really started uh, showing themselves, which would be, he was five years old at the time he was diagnosed a few months away from his sixth birthday. So uh, bedwetting, excessive thirst, excessive hunger, um, uh, just moody weight loss, just all of those, all of those things. And when we look at pictures of him, before his official diagnosis, Amy's like, Oh my God, like, look how sick he looked. And like, why didn't we, uh, why didn't we pick up on this? And, you know, the funny thing is like in my job, um, as a firefighter and also a paramedic respond to people with diabetic emergencies pretty frequently, uh, blood sugar being uh, a pretty common emergency. So we'd go in there, we'd be like, oh, great, you have a low blood sugar. You know, we'd start an IV and pump their veins full of sugar, wake them up, say, hey, eat something. Do you want to go to the hospital? Most of the times they did not. And then we just left and walked away and we're like, yay, we saved you. And that was really basically what I knew about diabetes is that, okay, you know, we had a low blood sugar. Obviously, that's not good. We need to fix it. 
I know how to do that. But I did not know the the ins and outs of of the condition, like how you manage it, why certain things happen the way they happen or when they happen. And, and I've learned that over the course of all these years that you could do everything to the doctor's letter. And sometimes just diabetes doesn't play nice. It can just smile and laugh at you. Like, you know, somebody mocking you and other days you have good days, but it's, it's not a take two of these and call me in the morning sort of thing. Right. Okay. So you got diagnosed, you got the diagnosis for, uh, was it Finn? Uh, McKay was the first McKay. one. McKay. Um, yeah. And th- so then then what do you do in that scenario? You start learning about how to maintain it? Yeah. So basically, um, I was, the day he was officially diagnosed, I was working an overtime day. And I knew Amy was going to be taking him to the doctor because we knew something. Back up was, for a second. Can you explain yeah. to people what an overtime day means for a firefighter? Mm. Yeah. So um, in my fire department, we refer to it as SOD, which stands for scheduled overtime duty. So it was voluntary. Like I, I elected to work that day um, and I, and I tend to work uh, three to four overtime days a month. Cause I like making extra money. Um, so I was doing that and well, what, what's the time commitment of an overtime day? 24 hours. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So I work 24 hour shifts, uh, whether it's my normal shift or an overtime shift, unless it's specifically, um, we do have a certain amount of spots that could be 12 hour days, but, uh, I prefer to do 24s just because it's more money and I'm just used to, you know, 24 hour days. But um, so, like I said, I knew Amy was going to be taking McKay to the, uh, to the doctor and they did a, uh, you know, they did a urine test and they did, uh, you know, they dipped a little stick in there to see what was going on. And Amy said very, that the doctor said very calmly. So yeah, you're going to be going to the emergency room now because he was spilling so much sugar into the urine, like his, his blood sugar numbers were like off the charts. Like I think beyond the capacity of what their meter and machines could even read. So it was like over a thousand, which is super, 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 super high. Like textbook normal is like 80 to 120 milligrams per deciliter. And his was a thousand. So that's like, you know, and he he was five. He was five. So Amy was frantically trying to call me and I was on a run or a response. So I was unavailable and uh, she was calling like my cell phone a bunch of times, which was, I'm sure left in the ambulance. And then she called just to to also elaborate here. Your wife is an ER nurse, correct? No, she is a nurse. She was uh, was an an oncology nurse for uh, years at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. Um, and she's now in school to become a nurse practitioner. Oh, and got it. Okay. I'm, I'm yeah. just interrupting to say this, just to establish that you both work in fields yeah. where you deal with stuff along these lines on a regular basis, but usually it's not personally connected to you. Right. Right. Um, so anyway, long story short, I got tracked down at uh, the hospital where we had uh, t- 
taken our uh, patient to and, and the nurse came up to me and said, hey, you, you need to call your wife like right now. And I knew from that that this was not going to be good. So um, I called her and she told me what was going on. And I said, all right, um, as soon as we're done dropping off this patient, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head over to the hospital. And that's when we, you know, got the official word that um, McKay was diagnosed with type one diabetes. So um, just to say that obviously that was not expected. That was kind of like a big blow to uh, us and him and, and his brother. Um, you know, it was really, uh, and our daughter was like, maybe one at the time. So she had no idea what was going on, but, um, yeah, it definitely threw a, a wrench into the gears. So, um, right. he was hospital. Yeah. He was hospitalized for two days and, um, they took very good care of him, but I remember, you know, we had a diabetes educator come in and then we got hooked up with his, uh, first endocrinologist, which we no longer see we're, we're with a, a new doctor, which we like, uh, a hundred percent better. Um, and I just remember how overwhelming it was, um, with the diabetes education, because now they're talking in terms that, um, I had never heard before. They're giving us all these like math equations. Cause you have to figure out, yeah. you know, the, uh, amount of, uh, and for those of you that don't know, I'm sorry, I should have said this earlier. If, if you are diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, uh, the uh, more common name, probably more old school name for it was insulin dependent diabetes. Um, so he needs, both of my boys need insulin to survive. Without it, they won't. Um, their pancreas does not work at all. Um, and thankfully, uh, the advent of artificial insulin uh, was discovered because before it was available, it was a death sentence. So, um, anyway, uh, needless to say, um, the, the diabetes educator was like, okay, so now that we're dealing with this, uh, we have to basically, you guys have to be a pancreas for him since his no longer works. And, there's, you have to figure out the insulin to carb ratio because it's the carbohydrates that people eat that cause the, uh, you know, the blood sugar to spike. And then the insulin is what helps regulate that. So for uh, a person with a, a normal, uh, a normally functioning pancreas, whenever we eat bread or candy or fruit or anything that has sugar, um, our pancreas secretes the appropriate amount of insulin that we need to break that down, convert it to energy. And then the rest, you know, uh, gets converted into waste. Um, with him, because that wasn't happening, all of that sugar was just in the blood and it couldn't be converted into energy, which is why there was the weight loss, which is why there was the excessive thirst because the body's trying to compensate. So you want to drink more to try to dilute it, which is why there was the excessive uh, urination because the body's trying to get rid of all that sugar because it doesn't belong where it is. Um, so um, it, it was a really, really um, 
it was, I mean, it was devastating. I mean, it was like your five-year-old kid, you know, now has this lifelong disease that, you know, he doesn't know what's going on. Of course, at five years old, he's not going to know how to manage it. And, you know, uh, it was a whole new uh, learning thing that we had to learn and, and, and learn it quickly. Um, of course, obviously, um, you can't learn it all in a day. And I mean, I still don't think we're experts by any stretch of the imagination, but we certainly can rely on our experience and then knowing uh, basically what his tendencies are. But now that he, he's 12 years old now, so now puberty's uh, you know, a factor and this is insulin demands or, or anyone's insulin demands as, as you're getting bigger and older are going to increase. And then of course with him, uh, with puberty now being, uh, part of the equation, you know, the, the, the hormones kicking in, you know, that that's just going to put us on like that big roller coaster of ups and downs. And, you know, some days are great. Some days are bad. Um, you know, and so it's kind of called, uh, I think the, well, a lot of people use the term uh, sugar surfing in the uh mm. in the diabetes world so so you know you mentioned something interesting because you know uh, my, my grandmother had t1d and you know was on insulin uh a lot so i you know i i'm i'm have like a familiarity with it um I'm, but you know when you talk about your when you talk about your you know your son not knowing um what yeah, you know, how to explain it to him. I, I do want to unpack that. I, you know, I had, I had skin cancer when I was five. And so like, there was Uh-oh. a conversation that like my parent, I'd have, a, I'd have surgery. I'd have targeted radiation. I'd have some stuff and I didn't, you know, they explained it to me, but it didn't really sink in, but right. that was, that was mainly because it was like a kind of a, after a six month period that we were essentially done with it, you know, this is mm-hmm. lifelong. Hey, right. what can you walk us through like the conversations and what you're, how your kids process that and like how much as part of the reality now is it for them? How much, how has it like taken the infiltrated part of their identity uh, to be, to have this? Well, you know, we, we've tried to explain to them. They're like, Hey, you know, you got a bad deal, you know, with this, but you know, you're, you're just like any other kid except that, you know, this is just something that you need to deal with, but you're no different. You're no better. You're no worse. You can still do all of the things that they do. You can play sports, you can run, you can climb, you can jump, you know, you can play an instrument, whatever it is you want to do. Like, this is not going to prevent you uh, from doing it. It's just, we need to make sure, and you need to make sure that, you know, a little, we just go the, you know, that extra mile to make sure that you're safe while doing those things. Um, and fortunately, you know, for him and my other boy, um, you know, the, the friends that we have made and, and, you know, from the parents and then of course, you know, the, the friends that they have made, they've all been really good, you know, to us and to him, like no one's made fun of him or my other son, you know, for, you know, having this condition. And that's not to say that maybe sometime down the road that won't happen, but uh, so far um, we've been pretty lucky. Um, We, um, 
I did send, I don't know, Aaron, if you, if you read that article, but I, I did, I want to talk I about it. Okay. Um, so I'll wait for you to bring that up. Well, I mean, that's, I think it's kind of part of what uh, Eddie was just asking, you know, uh, along the lines of you're communicating this with your kid, but then the life experience of it around others in certain environments takes on a whole new uh, adds layers to the experience. Right. So, so you wrote an article about uh, your son's inclusion or your son's introduction to public school and the public school experience while dealing with the type one diabetes. And this was around, I think the time, was it around the time you guys first got the diagnosis? Yeah. So he, um, he was diagnosed in kindergarten and, and for that one school year, he was in um, a public school. Uh, one that um, was not assigned to our house. We actually had a lottery in, into that school because we knew that um, that was uh, one of the few good schools that remain within the Los Angeles Unified School District. Um, so we, we felt very fortunate that, you know, we got him into that place. Uh, and then of course, you know, I don't know, what was it? Two, three weeks most into the school year, you know, the, the diagnosis happened. So, um, and, and I will say the only reason that he finished his kindergarten year at that school was because of, uh, the teacher's that he had that year. So the, the main teacher was great. And she had an assistant that, um, you know, really, um, really went above, both of them really went above and beyond the call of, uh, duty for him. The problem was, um, we had learned that had he stayed there in first, had he continued on there, uh, for his first grade year, there was no assistant teacher. And, my wife and I just said, you know, this is going to be really difficult for him to manage this as a six-year-old without any additional help. And I said, I can only imagine how difficult and frustrating it would be for the teacher to have to constantly have interruptions because there could be a potential blood sugar issue. Um, not did to mention the to fact... Sit did you have to sit in the class or did one of you have to sit in the class with him? Yeah. So for like the first few months, uh, either Amy and my wife or myself would sit there all day with him in school because there was only a nurse at that school, like one day a week. And when we called the school district, um, and said, Hey, you know, our, our son was just diagnosed with type of diabetes. Like we need a nurse here daily to help him the school district's reply to me was, well, you know, I'm really sorry to hear about your kid, but in our mind, as far as the LAUSD is concerned, type one diabetes does not require that service. And I was just floored. I'm like, how could you, how can you tell me that the father of a sick, an almost six year old kid. And, and as a parent, like, this is all brand new to us. Like you forget the jobs that we do. Like I said, like my experience with diabetes was like in out, fix the blood sugar and go on to the next thing. But now we're talking about having to manage this 24 hours a day. 
and all the ins and outs and idiosyncrasies of the disease, which I had no, didn't know nothing about until, you know, we're living it. So I, I just couldn't believe that uh, a school district would have the audacity to say that, especially with the kids so young. But <clears throat> so anyway, um, eventually they did start sending a nurse daily, albeit a different person, only for recess and lunch to basically help him check his blood sugar. And we got him on an insulin pump very, very quickly, which I'm, I'm so glad for. What does that um, mean? Is that is so, that the the thing that goes? Is, is there there's like a tube or something? Yeah. So um, basically, when you're first diagnosed, and some people choose to do this, um, to do uh, uh, the acronym is MDI, which stands for multiple daily injections. So some people, uh, everybody's going to start that way, and some people choose to go that route, and th- and that's cool. Um, we didn't think. Um, at least for a kid that that was, you know, the way to go because, you know, that's multiple daily injections, you know, you're getting insulin shots many, many times throughout the course of a 24 hour period. And that's why you Um, sat in the class. That's why we sat in the class because we had to do that for him. So when he got the insulin pump, so that's, that's a machine. Um, his is about the size of, um, I'd say maybe like a half an iPhone and, um, Hmm. you know, kids being so technologically savvy these days, that was what was appealing to him is that it didn't (laughs) really look like a medical device. It kind of looked like an iPhone. Um, and it's all, yeah, he had status early on. That's funny. Right. Um, but it was very user-friendly. Like I remember when the, um, you know, the sales person was at our house explaining to us how this thing worked. He's like, look, he's like, this thing's so simple. Like just the basic functions. He's like, this is how you unlock the screen. And he's like, here are a couple features like here, just see if you can, uh, you know, we're going to pretend like here, see if we can pretend to administer insulin on this thing without any instruction from me. So, you know, my wife and I looked at it, we pushed a couple of buttons and we're like, Oh, dude, this is like simple. Like, this is awesome. Hmm. Um, so that, so we got him on that. And when we had him on the pump, like I said, the nurse would show up, different person for recess and lunch, help him check his blood sugar and push a couple of buttons on his pump. And I'm like, he can do that. Like, yeah, I don't really need you for that. I need you for the in between, the after recess, the after PE, the before, the after lunch, the after snack, because that's when you know, activity levels can, um, affect your blood sugar, like maybe hours after the fact, you know, Mm. and that's when we need somebody to be there for him. There's so many questions I have, and I'm trying to find the best way to like structure (laughs) them. Brian, you, you unloaded a lot of info. Yeah, no, it's a lot. It's a lot, you know, well it is, but it's also, it raises like everything you talk about raises other questions and raises other topics. Um, but you did mention technology and how, you know, our, we, and Aaron and I have talked on this podcast before about how technology, you know, ch- children's relationship to technology. And there's sort of the, the standard parent thing of not waiting too much device time, but for you, that, that device interact interaction means something wholly, wholly different. 
Sure. I know in the T1D world, there's things like GCM monitors, like um, yeah. like implants, things like that, Glu- uh, continuous glucose monitoring devices that are actually embedded. Mm-hmm. I know there's, uh, and there's a whole other discussion you can have about, you know, sort of like uh, role models that your kids can look up to with T1D. I know of two, SD Hyam from the band Hyam and the professional wrestler Kyle O'Reilly, and both of them have CGMs. Um, and, you know, but your, ch- your children are still growing. So is there, I know there's like some controversy with parents around getting CGMs embedded in kids. I know some doctors won't do it until they've sort of like stopped growing. Where are you on that? And how do you feel? Is it something your kids have, or is it something that's like on your roadmap? No, it it is something our kids have. Uh, We, we use the Dexcom uh, CGM, which stands for continuous glucose monitor. And uh, with the particular pump that they use, they use the uh, tandem uh, mm. T-Slim X2. Um, so these two things actually talk to each other. So you kind of need both of them to take full advantage of this pump. So the pump that they have is pretty much the close. Uh, there are a couple of other manufacturers, but the but for tandem, um, this is our second go with them, we have their original pump, and now we have uh, this updated pump, which um, which is really just amazing. Um, it, it talks to the the Dexcom, so um, it monitors your blood sugar, and it will. Um, so there are two basic two types of insulin delivery that a pump will do. It'll give you uh, what's known as basal insulin which is basically your background insulin, which our pancreases are secreting right now for a functioning pancreas. So the pump takes over that function and is just getting like slow little drips of insulin. And then there is bolus, which will either you give to correct a high blood sugar and, or for when you eat. Um, So like I said, carbohydrates are are what uh, we're mainly trying to cover because um, those turn into sugars. Um, so with this pump, if there is a high blood sugar, the pump in communication with the Dexcom will say, oh, you're, you're, we're reading a blood sugar. I'm just making up a number, 250. Okay, we don't like that. And it'll automatically give a corrective bolus for that. In oh, addition, wow. in a, yeah, which is really cool. In addition to its monitoring the blood sugar for um, changes. So if, if the blood sugar starts to drop, it'll actually shut itself off and cease giving the basal background insulin. And then when the blood sugar recovers, it will turn itself back on as well as it will adjust the basal insulin for going lower. Or even if it's going high, it will give you a little bit more. So to hopefully prevent that, that's the concept uh, yeah. behind it. Um, you know, sometimes it works great. Other times, like I said, diabetes doesn't play nice. Mm-hmm. So right. sometimes it just, just smiles and laughs at you and says, keep on coming. What else you got for me? There's, so. there's this uh, idea of lack of control that keeps popping up into my head uh, about yep. this experience. And you're talking about the public school system, not supplying a sense of oversight and safety that you you needed for for McKay being at the age that he was in. So 
Right. You pulled him out, right? You pulled him and moved him into a different school. Um, we did. And then your second kid also had was diagnosed with type one diabetes. Yeah. Uh, so this leads me to, I mean, one is like, oh shit. Two starts opening up uh, like, you know, conversations of, is this genetic? Is my third also going to have this? What is causing this? Um, right. But also you've gone through this with McCabe. So you kind of, I'm assuming started having a, a roadmap of in your head of, okay, this is what we need to do. Correct. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously when Finn was diagnosed, I mean, that was obviously devastating as well. Um, but because of the fact that we've, you know, lived with it, for a few years prior to Finn's diagnosis, it was still a bitter pill to swallow, but definitely in terms of managing it, we're like, okay, so now we just have to do everything just times two. Um, you know, and you so both work full time <laughs> and your firefighter schedule is insane. Um, so, I mean, you know, I remember when you, you originally posted about this and told me about this experience, you know, I, I feel like I'm barely able to manage with one kid. You and Eddie both have two boys and a girl each and being a full time, you know, working full time and also being there for your kids is already overly a full time job. But then having this pile onto it, not only are you being faced with how the public school system will be there to support this and then the ideas of those in possibly less fortunate communities not receiving the support and not having other opportunities to get that support. There's the idea of, okay, what happens in the middle of the night? Yeah. What happens I mean, when you're asleep? Yeah. It, you know, I, I will say that um, we, uh, as, as, terrible as it was to, you know, be given this diagnosis, not once, but now twice, um, you know, fortunately, you know, we, we do live in uh, a nice area and we do have resources uh, available to us. And thankfully uh, what I have learned about diabetes um, from a financial standpoint is if I did not have uh, the insurance policy that I have. I mean, my, uh, we'd be homeless. It is not a cheap disease and then now do it twice. Um, so thankfully, um, you know, my job is, has afforded me amazing healthcare, uh, uh, you know, for my whole family, uh, regardless of, of medical conditions. So, um, you know, we still do pay for the insulin, but uh, not nearly as much as we would had uh, we've been like basically fully 100% out of pocket. Like it is astronomically expensive. Um, and, you know, what I will say about the public schools, I was obviously writing that from our perspective and our experience. I know other people that have diabetic children in the public schools may have had uh, great experiences. And, and I hope for most people that that is the case we did not and we felt that we needed to correct a problem in its infancy before it became uh, a really big issue so um, they're all in private school 
um, right now. And the support that we have there from full-time nurse, uh, the same nurse, and she has an assistant. So it's always the same people um, to the text threads with the teachers. It's just night and day difference. And, Mm. um, and the school that all of my kids are at um, is the school, the elementary school I went to as a kid. So I already had, um, you know, ties to that school. Um, I told my wife, I said, you know, with or without diabetes, I said, if I had my choice, that's where I would want them to go. Um, but now I, I felt like we had no other choice but to do that. So that's where they are. And it, it's been a much better um, experience. Now, my oldest is going to be in seventh grade next year, and he will be moving from the lower campus to the upper campus. So there, there is no nurse um, there because hopefully by then he will uh, be able to uh, quote unquote self-manage with help from, you know, mom and dad through, you know, text message or, or phone call. So there, there are still some things that he needs to learn how to do on his own. Um, and we will teach him that. But, um, you know, at some point, you know, the, the, person living with diabetes is going to have to take over the, the reins and manage this on his or her own. Right. Um, so especially when they're away from mom and dad. So. Yeah. I want you to talk to me about jelly bean. Cause I remember oh, jelly, jelly beans, bean. a dog, jelly uh, bean dog, the dog that we've been hearing. You got jelly beans specifically for support. Correct. So support. Jelly bean, uh, jelly bean is a service, full, public access service dog and his job he's he's known as um it's funny is he a wheaton um, terrier he is a golden doodle golden he's, doodle golden doodle he's been, <laughs> yeah he's been mistaken for a wheaton terrier so he, he is known as a which stands for diabetic alert dog so i've said i'm his father but jelly beans is dad so um <laughs> yeah um so yeah basically we found a uh, an organization um, in Las Vegas, Nevada, called Diabetic Alert Dogs of America, and they train dogs uh, to become service dogs. With and their job is to alert to high and low blood sugars. And um, um, we got him because at the time McKay did not know when he was low, when he was low, what that felt like, or really when he was high, but you know, in the, both types of blood sugars are bad, um, prolonged high blood sugars over the course of years and years and years can lead to a whole bevy of complications, but a low blood sugar, a severe low blood sugar is immediately life threatening. So to us, obviously that was scary when he had no idea. So that was, that was known as a hypoglycemic unaware. He had no idea. And so um, I, I knew that we had to do something to try to figure this out and try to help him out. And, and like most people, you know, I didn't even know a service dog for that even existed. Uh, I was like most, you know, a service dog is for uh, people who cannot see uh, a guide dog for the blind. So 
I've come to learn that there are service dogs for um, a lot of um, medical issues. Um, and when I found out about this, um, I knew that I, I needed to get them one. So I started doing my research, um, talked to a few different organizations. And then, um, you know, when I found uh, Diabetic Alert Dogs of America in, in my conversation with them, I, um, I felt really good about them. They, uh, they hid nothing from me. They gave me uh, former clients to talk to as references. I, I mean, and either way, I mean, it was really just going on blind faith because at some right. point I was going to have to trust somebody. It's like, I, you know, I don't, I don't know, but, uh, but like I said, I, I, I just got a good vibe from them and, you know, they, you know, you fill out an application, like, why do you think you need this dog? And what type of dog do you want? What's your lifestyle? You know, and we told them, uh, you know, because this animal would be going into a school setting, um, I didn't want to have to deal with the, you know, the allergy issue. All my kids are allergic to dogs. And then, uh, and, and not that that would have mattered because as a, as a service dog, he has the right to go to any public location, but we also wanted to be mindful and respectful of other people as well. And not think that, you know, our kid was any more important than uh, anyone else's kid. Um, so we, uh, we said we wanted either a golden doodle or a labradoodle. And, um, you know, so they found jelly bean is a, a golden doodle and, um, they trained him. They, um, they encouraged us to come meet him at, at some point during his training, which we did. And, um, you know, we kind of got to see like how they operate, you know, what they've done with him up to that point of meeting him for the first time. They always posted videos and pictures on their website. And he really has been just an amazing, amazing uh, help. Um, how does he help? That's what I'm uh, that, that that's, that's what I'm wondering. What does, in what ways does he help communicate issues to you guys? And I guess I don't even know if you can answer this question, but how do you train a dog to do that? Okay. So yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like how, I mean, we all know that uh, a dog's sense of smell is, is just amazing. Like well, well beyond the capabilities of a human. Um, so basically what they do is when they're ready to start scent training the dog, they, they send us a, a collection kit, which we collected samples, I'd say over the course of maybe a month or so. And they had, so they had like little, uh, screw off top Mason jars and there was a, a blood sugar range on each one. So the dog is trained. Wait, stop samples of yeah. what? I'm sorry. So basically um, we would collect. So whenever McKay was within um, certain ranges of blood sugar that they wanted, we would put multiple cotton balls in his mouth and he would uh, get them wet with saliva. And then we put them in those jars and then freeze them. And then we'd send it. Then when we had all the samples that they wanted, we overnighted them back to Nevada and that's what they would use to start training uh, jelly bean on for those blood wow. sugars because since, since he wasn't there, that was, that's the best they can use to start training on those scents. Um, and it really is truly um, remarkable. So when there is a blood sugar that jelly beans not happy with, he comes up to you and he paws at you. Mm. Um, 
And he and and the organization did say, you know, the the their mate the the work they do is amazing. You know, they really um, beyond the service work. You know, just just to see the relationship between uh, a human and a dog, especially on such a more connected level than just a pet, um, is truly um, just really amazing. And you know, they did say the one bad thing about these dogs is there's really no off button is like, they, they will alert at you until the blood sugar is corrected. Or if you ignore them enough, because they want to treat, like, um, that's, that's their payment, you know, when they do a good job, you know, you give them a, a little dog treat and, um, and they, and they handpick these dogs, um, you know, they really want to see which ones are food motivated, you know, cause they want to know which ones are going to be motivated to work because if they don't work, then what's the point? Um, you know, and they have had dogs. I asked them, I said, have you ever had a dog that has failed? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, they said, unfortunately, a lot of dogs end up failing because not every dog is meant to do this type of work. Um, actually one of our other dogs that we have was in training to be somebody's dad and he failed and, um, mm. they, they gave him to us. So we have him as, as a, as a pet. He's a wonderful dog. He's trained. He just wasn't meant to do that. He wasn't happy doing that, but he, he loves being a pet dog for us and a member of the family and he gets along great with jelly bean. Um, but yeah, so um, I, the response to him, you, you know, really the response to him was great, um, especially the kids. I think the, you know, the younger kids, when McKay first showed up to school um, with this uh, gorgeous dog, you know, uh, it, it was really neat to see how the kids um reacted and, and were really respectful of, of a service dog. Now, obviously they had to, we had to explain to them why he was there, what his purpose is. And that even though he's cute and fluffy and cuddly that, you know, he's not a pet, he's a, he has a job and you need to not distract him from that because if you do, he could miss a very important alert. And, and the kids were, they took to it right away. And, you know, I remember, you know, in the early days of having Jelly Bean, you know, we'd be out in public, you know, in a shopping mall, you know, obviously well pre-COVID when, uh, you know, shopping malls were uh, uh, frequented. Uh, adults would just see him and be like, oh, my God, how cute. I would just come up and pet him. And it's like, dude, there's a vest on this animal that says, don't touch me like I'm working. And they mm -hmm. just they don't they don't care. But the kids. <laughs> I've seen some kids scold adults. They're like, you can't ah! touch him. He's working. <laughs> so it, that's it's great. Really cool. It's really cool that the, you know, the kids were like all, all about it. And the, and the adults, you kind of really had to, to train them because I mean, it's hard to, it's hard, you know, I get it. Like he's a cute dog and who, who can resist a cute dog. Does the dog still come with them to school? He does. Um, you know, McKay actually just started going back on campus um, just a few weeks ago. So he, um, he he's chosen to leave him home, you know, for these first few weeks. And, um, and, you know, I get it. Like he's getting older and, you know, now that he's um, more aware of 
his body and, and what it feels like to be low or high. Um, I honestly don't know if he's going to, how often he's going to take him. So, I mean, we still have Finn can uh, certainly take him to school. He, he's, he's there, there have been days where McKay is like, yeah, oh, Finn, you can, you can take him. And, and he works for, works for both of them. And, um, you know, um, which, which is fine. Um, I, um, I've been saving the money for service dog number two, if that's needed as of right now, I, I don't know if we're going to do another one. Um, but I want to have the money ready to go in the event of if, if McKay or Orphan thinks that they, you know, need it. But, um, but either way, I mean, uh, I, 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 I don't regret the decision. I think at the time, now that, now that I'm a few years removed from it, it was definitely, um, an emotional part of it was definitely an emotional decision, uh, to, to move so fast on it. Um, because it, I mean, it was scary, you know, scary well, yeah, for, of course, but you say emotional decision, you're, you're hit with this. You want to tackle it head on sooner than later. Cause you know, if you don't, there's the possibility that shit can get worse and out of control. Like that. I, I don't, I don't fault you for that. No, I, I don't, I don't fault myself. I, I'm just saying now that, um, you know, now that I can reflect on it, um, I don't know if it would have hurt us to wait a couple of years into diagnosis, but like I said, I don't, I don't regret it. He's been amazing. He's certainly helped both of our boys, um, you know, with, uh, trying to keep their blood sugar as in control, uh, you know, the best type of control we can possibly have for two growing boys. Um, yeah. I would imagine when they're done growing that it'll be a much easier situation. Um, you know, and then of course by then they should be, you know, 100%, you know, in charge of their diabetes destiny, um, so to speak. Right. But, but it, you know, it is really, um, um, you know, and just to talk about the dog again, we actually had a, uh, a friend over yesterday who incidentally enough is also type one diabetic. She's older. She's like in her forties and she ended up getting a dog from the same organization we did because of jelly bean. Like we, we told her, uh, about him and, um, you know, a few years ago she came over to meet him and she saw like, he was alerting on her like right away. And she's like, I'm sold done. Like, where do I sign mm-hmm. up? So she now has a dog and, um, you know, it, it's, it's been a great experience for her too. So, uh, you know, what else do you want to know? Oh, no, I, I, I wanted to let you finish <laughs> that thought that, you know, we're, we're going to be coming up on the end of the show soon, but I guess my final question to you is how are you guys doing? Like, you know, yeah. it, 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 I've already, I already view you as one of my busiest friends and you have taken on a job of public service where you, you, I mean, you've dealt with forest fires and you've dealt with life threatening situations uh, on, on a, on a radius of, of issues dealing with other people. And 
that in and of itself, I'm assuming you need to decompress when you get home to remove yourself from the possible horrors that you see at work. But coming home to a situation like this, to me, feels like it adds all other sorts of precarious layers that you have a semblance of control over, but still causes concern and worry. So how are you guys doing? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, there, yeah, there's always going to be the concern that, you know, what if we, you know, what if we miss an alarm? You know, what if, I mean, there, you can, what if this thing, you know, to the end of the alphabet, but um, I mean, really, I'd, uh, I'd say that uh, Amy, uh, you know, my wife is, is, been really um, the um, one at the head of all of this. Um, you know, she, I mean, we, we both obviously did our, our due diligence and, and, and trying to learn about this disease and how to manage it. But, you know, because uh, I work uh, a lot, you know, she's often home with the kids alone and, um, you know, she finds herself more often than I do, um, you know, changing the insulin pumps, uh, you know, replacing the CGMs and, um, you know, counting the carbs and, you know, all that. So I know how to do all that stuff, of course, but, um, like I said, because, you know, um, I'm at work a lot, um, you know, a lot of the burden falls on her. So, and of course she's done, you know, an amazing job, um, you know, handling this with everything else she has going on. And, and it's difficult because there are, um, like, again, mainly her, a lot of nights where you're not getting a full night's sleep yeah. and tired and, you know, you, you just need, you need that break. And sometimes you don't get it because, you know, di- diabetes does not take a break. It's a 24 hour, uh, day um disease and and that's that's really the unfortunate thing about it is um it it would be nice if it was like hey just you know take your insulin you know uh you know bolus appropriately and everything will be fine but uh, unfortunately it doesn't always work that way and 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 that's really what's um what's sad uh, about it is you know like I said, you, you can do everything right and you still feel like you're doing things wrong. Right. Well, I feel like you that know? could just go hand in hand with just being parent. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's certainly no manual to that. And, uh, you know, the diabetes manual, if there really is one, it's just, it's so overwhelming. I mean, it, it was just, like I said, you know, when the diabetes educator was there giving us all these math equations and I, and I suck at math. I was like, I'm never going to figure this out. I'm like, I'm going to kill my kid. I'm going to give him too much insulin or not enough because I'm scared. I did the calculations wrong. And, you know, I think when you, when you finally get over that stress and you just relax a little bit and kind of just make what's what then you realize it's it's still hard but it's not as hard like i was making it harder than it needed to be and then you know like i said earlier once you once you've been uh living with it in turn you know into, uh, we're living with it in terms of we're caring for someone with it we're, we don't live with the disease ourselves but 
um, you start to see how um, that particular child, um, how their body basically responds to activity, to certain types of foods. Like we learned that pizza, pasta, and I'm going to get Jewish on you for a second, matzah are uh, like just blood sugar destroyers. Just matzah, really? Wow. Matzah, really just horrendous things to eat, at, le- at least from our perspective. Maybe someone else, it's um, not that big of a deal, but that stuff sticks with you for a while. So now we can combat that, but, um, you know, it's still, we've learned that th- those are like the big bugaboos with, uh, with our kids' blood sugars anyway. So interesting. Yeah. Eddie, do you have a question? I do. Yeah. I, you know, we, we've, we've looked at this a lot from sort of the parents' point of view as we should, I guess my question would be, you know, every kid has bad days, you know, and every kid has, has days just about where they're tired. What for, for your boys who have this, what, what is a bad day of them sort of grappling with their condition or their illness look like? And as a parent, what do you and your wife do? What do you say? How do you, what, what do you say to encourage them or to pick them back up or, you know, what combination yeah. of, of, of sort of like warm love and tough love and like how, you know, how does that work? Yeah, that's a good, it's a good question. And it's really a, a question that um, I really wish doesn't even have to be asked because there, there right. certainly are, are those days. And, and I think, you know, now that they're both a little bit older, I think the, um, the acceptance is more there with mm-hmm. them. Um, I think before it was, sometimes it was just hard for um, both of them to uh, accept the fact that they have type one diabetes. And I know that, you know, they, they don't want this thing to define who they are. And and we we've told them, they're like, this does not define you. It's just unfortunately something you have. Um, But yeah, I mean, a bad day would just be look like two very emotional upset kids who um, basically part of my language is have a case of the fuck it's and, you know, just, don't want to deal. And, you know, it's hard from my perspective because, you know, I've seen people with the, you know, who are quote unquote, the, the bad diabetics, you know, who um, either, and, and, and of course, you know, that term bad diabetic is really just an assumption because you see people, you know, with uh, below knee amputations and, mm you know, who are on kidney dialysis and have high blood pressure and other that was um, my dad. Yeah. medical conditions. I mean, sometimes, yes. Is that possible? Absolutely. There are those people who just didn't care, never took care of themselves. And, and there you find them. And then there are others that try to do everything they could do. And it just still, you know, diabetes got the best of them. But um, so for my, and having seen, having responded to those patients, it's hard for me to, to see my kids get in that mood because I don't want them to end up like that because that's gotta be even more devastating. 
you know, now when you're, you know, relegated to a, a wheelchair or you're in a dialysis chair, you know, three days a week, five hours a day. I mean, that's not a life, man. I mean, that, that's yeah. terrible. And so I, I tell them, you know, some, sometimes I, I would say between Amy and myself, um, more often than not the tough love guy. You know, sometimes I just tell them, Hey man, you know what? Like this sucks. I get it, but you know, too bad. Like you, you've got to deal with it and right. we've got to make sure that you're taken care of. And, you know, and other times we're just, you know, and Amy has to remind me of that fact and you know, she'll be like, Hey, let them have their emotions. Like this yeah. sucks, you know? And I'm like, yeah, it sucks. You know? And it, it, it sucks for me to see them that upset. And I know it sucks for Amy to see them that upset. And then, of course, we always wonder, like, are we going to have to do this three times? Like, is our daughter going to uh, eventually be diagnosed with this? So far, she hasn't. Um, but Amy How does find she her, She is eight. Amy does find herself checking her blood sugar in the middle of the night. Mm. And, you know, she thinks she's crazy. And I'm like, you're not crazy. I mean, we've been hit with this twice. So, I mean, it wouldn't be so far-fetched. Um, you know, if that's, uh, that's in our future, I mean, God, I hope not, but right. you know, um, one final thing I wanted to talk about, or just to ask you from your perspective, if you met someone who was in a similar position, you were in five, what was it? Six, seven years ago that is flailing and trying to find some ground beneath them to figure out the way forward. If they have a kid dealing with type one diabetes, is there a piece of advice you would give them? Um, I would say that you, you need to find a support group and there, there are those on uh, Facebook and, or try to meet, um, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of like that game when it's like six degrees to Kevin Bacon, like somebody knows somebody that has a, a child with diabetes, you know? So if, uh, if random person over here goes to their friend, Oh my God, you know, my kid was diagnosed with diabetes. I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed. Chances are they're going to know somebody or have a friend of a friend that, you know, is either, you know, caring for someone with or knows somebody and they can put them in contact with, with somebody um just even if it's just to have a bitch and moan session yeah you know just to know that you know you're not the only mother or father um out there that's that's facing this and has to um care for a, a child with um, diabetes and you know it's it's funny because I feel like ever since our kids were diagnosed you know now I feel like I'm hearing about more and more kids being diagnosed with this and and it, it's just weird i'm like is, is this like a trend now or like is this like the is this the it might be one of those things where where you know i didn't back what 10 years ago when i got my prius i didn't notice other priuses on the street until i got my own i feel like right. your your eyes open to a certain experience and then suddenly your radar picks you know your radar is yeah. picking it up more you're, you're definitely, yeah, you're definitely more hyper aware. And I mean, you know, and when, 
you know, Amy and I are out, you know, sorry, I didn't mean to compare your experience to me buying a Prius. That was so fucking stupid of me. (laughs) No, but it's, but it's true though. You, you become like, Oh, you're, you're, you're administering insulin to your kid. Well, I bought a fuel efficient car and now I see them everywhere. (laughs) That's right. I know exactly what that's like. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I have a fuel efficient car too. So, um, but no, it, you do become more hyper aware, you know, like standing in line at the grocery store or whatever, like, oh, that person has diabetes. I see them checking their Dexcom. You're like, right. I know exactly what that device is. Yeah. Or I see them giving themselves insulin. You're like, okay. So again, my kids are, are definitely not the only two uh, that have this condition. Um, there are other people out there that live it every day and, and live very normal lives. And I'm sure that you know, back when, however long ago that they were diagnosed, I'm sure they had their, their moments of, uh, high emotions and they're just like, I'm over it. I'm done. I don't care. I don't want to deal with it. Um, and then, you know, they realized that, um, as long as they know that they can manage this and that they've got this, that they're going to be fine. And I think that's really the big takeaway is that anybody that's going to listen to this show um, that has a kid that's had diabetes for years or just got diagnosed yesterday, um, they're going to be fine because you as their, uh, whether you're a single father, single mother or married, that you guys are, are, are going to step up to the plate. And you are going to learn the ins and outs of how to manage this disease. Uh, one, well, you don't have a choice. I mean, that's fact. Two, because you want your kid to have a normal life. And three, because you know you don't want your kid to face any sort of um, discrimination or just feel like they're the, the odd one out because of this condition. Right. Well, thank you for answering that question. Um, uh, so this has been a heavy episode, but it's also been very informative, very informative. and educational. Yeah. Um, Eddie and I have been doing a new thing recently where we talk about a piece of entertainment we might have been watching or into or reading or listening to this past week. And um, uh, last week, Eddie, you were not on the show, but Drew Daywalt talked about um, the Groucho Marx biography that he read that that really made me want to read it. So I don't know. Do you have anything this week? Um, Anything this week? uh, Trying to think about something. I've I've been so head down in uh, work that I have not experienced anything culturally. Oh no, Shadow and Bone! Uh, Great little show, Shadow and Bone. I've been enjoying it. I've uh, I started watching on Netflix. I'm not done with it yet. Spoilers, please. But Shadow and Bone on Netflix. Great adaptation of the books. I think it improves upon the books in a couple instances. You read the books? I read the, I read the first one. Yeah. Uh, hmm. So like, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. So yeah, that show does not look like anything I'd want to watch at all. But oh, okay. but I'm not a big young adult. Um, it doesn't come across. Guy. It, it, it's more along lines of like The Witcher than like a lot of YA stuff. So if you like The Witcher, it's kind of the same. Yeah. You know, all right, it's fine. No, 
Fine. No, I, but 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 I'm not knocking your. You know, I sure. I, I read about what it was about. Sounds interesting. I think my yeah. wife read the books. Executed um, well. So I've <laughs> I've been doing this weird escapist thing where every Thursday night I watch Law and Order: Organized Crime, and it's it's the new spinoff series where uh, uh, Chris Maloney is back as Elliot Stabler, but it's not like the previous Law and Order shows. This is one through line story that continues in each episode instead of doing like a procedural case of the week thing. And I got to tell you, uh, vengeful Elliot Stabler out to kick some ass and kill people is my kink. I don't I wasn't expecting to find it so enticing to watch Chris Maloney just go full on nuts on people while also dealing with his own. PTSD and grief due to the loss of his wife, but man, it's like so dark. It's so bleak, but also I look forward to it every week. It's bizarre. I don't watch Law and Order, but I'm super into this show. Um, Brian, I know I'm just like taking you by surprise here, but if there's anything uh, you've watched, listened to, or read this week, I would love to hear about it. Or just um, recently. Yeah, I'm not much of a reader. Um, I'm not I really know. Sure to, I'm not really I sure know. I know how to read. I don't think the I LA Fire Department stuff. does not require you to be a literate person. I get it. True, but no, that's not true. Um, no, I actually uh, before we started uh, our uh, this meeting here, I, I put on a movie called The Lie, which is on uh, Amazon Prime. Mm. I think I got about mm. maybe 20, 20 minutes into it, so I uh, can't tell you. Um, really uh it, it's so far i'm enjoying it but uh i did read the reviews it, it got like i think 43 percent on rotten tomatoes good. so i'm not really a good, good movie stuff. critic yeah, sure so uh, i did also start a documentary before we came on today called white boy about white boy rick yeah my um, wife was watching that on yeah. netflix uh yeah. i kind of knew the story and there was a movie that was made about him a few years ago but dear lord I want to fi- I'm actually probably going to finish it once we stop recording here. But this is our attempt, Brian, to to lighten up the mood before we end things and okay. Eddie and I work in media, so we tend to Right. Um suddenly the video is super close to your face. Hi Brian. Oh, hi. <laughs> um so thanks again man for taking the time to uh to come on the show. Um uh, one I- final thing is uh before we go, I, I've been asking our guests recently if there's any final words of wisdom you want to impart on our listeners before we end things. I think you've already imparted those words of wisdom, but uh, I'm giving you one final attempt, one final uh, offer to step onto your soapbox and say something. Word, uh, words of wisdom. No, um, really just, um, like I said, I think, I think once you get over the initial shock, I mean, I, I remember, you know, being in the hospital, like crying when McKay was diagnosed because it was just like, I had no idea what to do. And, and of course, seeing a little kid, you know, be diagnosed with a lifelong um, disease, it, it, you know, it, it's heartbreaking. And um I guess just what I said earlier, just once you, once you get over that um, uh, initial shock and all the emotions of, you know, overcome you and you've been able to kind of sort all those out. 
um, just, you know, just know that, um, you, you can do it. You can do it. You can, you can manage one child, two children, three children, whatever it is. And, and maybe even yourself, if you yourself have diabetes, um, it, it's, it's very possible. Um, lots of people do it. My wife and I are doing it. Um, we've been, I'm going to say we've been successful because, our kids are, uh, of course, still with us and yeah. healthy um, in school. Um, I mean, that's not to say we haven't had some bumps in the road because I, I would be flat out lying. But um, but you know, we're we're able to uh, do those things and um, you know still have them involved in you know other things. It's not diabetes 20. It is diabetes 24 hours a day, but it's not diabetes 24 hours a day. If that makes sense. It does. It does. Um, um, well, Brian, I feel like we have, uh, wrung you dry. Um, thank you so much for coming on. I, you know, thank you. You're, you're an old friend of mine and I didn't even know most of the stuff you discussed mm-hmm. with me just now. So thank you for elaborating and digging into your experience yeah. because I feel well, like, the, the, Yes. No, I was going to say this. This was this was fun. I'm I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you dedicated an episode uh, to this subject because I think there. Um, I I know of a kid. I'm not going to say this this kid's name that basically has not told anybody, including coaches, that um, that he's a diabetic, and I'm just like, in my opinion, that's not smart, but. No, but I mean, I can only imagine there's an element of shame there if you don't want to be othered or looked at as different or treated differently. That that I do understand, but from the other side of it, like if there was an emergency, yeah, like and the and the and your teachers or coaches or whoever you're with don't know, how can they help you? Right. Exactly. You know. Um. As I was going to say before you interrupted with that story, but I thank you for interrupting with that story, Brian. Uh, This, I feel like, is, um, I think this is a situation where a lot of people find themselves in and don't know the right first step. So getting your insight has been extremely eye-opening and helpful. And I thank you for taking the time to make yourself a little vulnerable and tell me about it. and also thanks for the, you know, being a paramedic and like saving lives and shit, you know, doing <laughs> something that I'm not brave enough or capable enough to do myself. Um, I, I don't think that's true. I think you're both of those things, but, um, okay. if you do want to have a show, I remember you doing that. headstands and throwing kettlebells like Eddie does. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's a life. It's a, it's a road. I don't walk. Okay. Well, if you do want to have an episode dedicated to uh, that, I'd be uh, happy to come back. And you know, we're 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 gonna have a fitness convo one of these days. Uh, Yeah, because Aaron's been in good shape too. Aaron's Aaron's not a stranger to working out by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not. Aaron Aaron is Aaron's very svelte. He just won't admit it. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the portion of the episode where I take all the accolades from my uh, fellow man. Accept um, compliments. We need men to accept compliments without being fucking weird about it. Uh, I'm fucking weird about everything, though, Eddie. Don't well, you I know, know but let's just chip away at that one little okay. weird piece at a time. 
You're right. Um, <laughs> Brian, well, Aaron, thanks for coming I, I, on the. Jesus Christ, let me thank you. Sorry. Brian, thank you for coming on the show. Were you going to say something? I was. I was going to say, Aaron, you know, I think the reason that we became friends is that we're both kind of weird in our own unique, respective ways, that, and it just worked. No, I just wanted your beard. Oh, well, you've got it. <laughs> See, you're allowed to no, have one in my job. You, you can definitely you can definitely come on the show because there's other stuff I wanted to talk to you about. Um, uh, Brian is currently helping take care of our old English teacher who was kind of a mm. father figure to me. Yeah who has Parkinson's Brian mm. was a firefighter is now firefighter paramedic. I'm sure there's elements of that, especially during COVID that yeah. could uh, bring up all sorts of things to talk about, but we are out of time out of time. So folks. thank you uh, everyone for tuning into episode number 15 of the Dadward spiral. Um, I'm sure Eddie is also thankful for, uh, for all of no. you. Yes, of course. I, am. I don't want to speak for you, but I'm just yeah, going we, to make we, the assumption. We are, we are always thankful for you here. Uh, you feel free to make that assumption any day of the week. Here in the dad word bunker. Uh, no, really. I'm just in bed. I'm in bed. Um, shout out to Dragon Wagon Radio for continuing to give us a place where our show exists. And I say this every week. If you want merch, if you want merchandise, if you want yep. a coffee mug, Brian, I know you're really into your coffee. You could go to dragonwagonradio.com. Slash dadward dash spiral. We have a store. You, sir, could get a coffee mug that has the logo of the show featuring an animated me falling precariously in the shadow of my daughter. I know you want yeah, it. I, I know do. you want it. Next I time I come over do. and you serve me some of your artisanal coffee, I would love to see that on your coffee bar. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, maybe I, I guess challenge uh, accepted. You remember my best friend, Calvin. He's the one who created the logo. You would be giving back, Brian. Well, you're, yes, your best friend, Calvin's a brilliant artist. And uh, I would, uh, I have, you know. He hasn't listened why? to a single episode of this show, but thank you. <laughs> well, well um, okay. Then you need I to thank Eddie. make him do that. I want to thank Eddie for uh, continuing to go on this journey with me and provide course, the gravitas. And the 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 sort of grounded practicality that I miss in my day to day life. I think the word you're looking for is haggardness. Haggardness. Sure. There's haggard. that too. I am uh, haggard. Been, I have three kids. Look, I'm haggard. I have been I've been using eye cream recently, so, so I don't I look do haggard. I need to um, do that because I got some bags, man. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, man. So. Yeah, we can start talking about that. And never end the show, but I'm going to do it. I'm ending the show. Uh, if you like what you heard, especially me talking about using eye cream because uh, <laughs> I need it, um, please go to iTunes and give us a review, a rating, a like, a, a like, a like us, a like, please, a like us. Um, <laughs> I, I need more coffee, apparently, Brian. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We will hope I'm not going to tell you who we have on next week because I haven't finalized the schedule, but hopefully this person will be with us. And it'll be an amazing episode. And if it's not, it will still be an amazing episode because this journey has been great for me so far. And I hope uh, hope you all have enjoyed the show. We like to end this by quoting the late Michelle McNamara, Patton Oswalt's late wife. It's chaos. Be kind, people. And until next we meet, be excellent to each other. 
it! I'm Koi Jandro, a Bostonian who loves pop culture, comic books, and people. And I host KoiCast. It's a podcast about all those things. If it fits in on a con floor, we talk about it on KoiCast. Myself and producer Jake do previews, reviews, deep dives, and tinfoil hat theories about everything from movies, TV, and the comic books themselves. I also like to dish out comic recommendations from my 100-plus pull list a week so you know what's best to buy. So join us, True Believer, on KoiCast.com or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Dragon Wagon.